fourth watch starts now. Hello, everybody. You're listening to The Fourth Watch with Justin Fall on The Fourth Watch Radio Network. I hope everyone's having a blessed week. Tonight's going to be an interesting examination of the occult revival that's sweeping the world. And we'll even be looking at the resurfacing of Zeus and his specific worship that's being preserved all over the world and even in the United States. We've got a lot to cover, so let's go ahead and start the adventure. Submitted for the approval of the Fourth Watch Radio Network, I call this episode Zeus Rising and the Occult Revival with special guest Tex Mars of Power of Prophecy. Well, here we are again, ladies and gentlemen, with another fresh week of discussion. I pray that your week has been truly blessed and filled with the joy of the Lord. I love this. I mean, I just want to say that I truly look forward to getting together with you all every week. It's just such a blessing, and I hope you're as blessed as I am. Now, a quick announcement. We're still moving forward with the ministry fundraising and still have quite a ways to go before reaching our goals. So I thank you all for praying with us about helping get the new branch of ministry up and off the ground and for furthering the kingdom work here at the Fourth Watch. I sincerely thank all of you who have been so sensitive to give and further the good fight. And I pray that the Lord would multiply your gifts back unto each of you. Now, if you're interested and you're feeling led to get involved, head on over to fourthwatchradio.blogspot.com. That's the number 4-T-H-W-A-T-C-H-R-A-D-I-O.B-L-O-G-S-P-O-T.com. That's fourthwatchradio.blogspot.com. There you can easily give by clicking the PayPal donate button on the right side of the screen. And your gifts are much needed and appreciated in helping reach our equipment needs at this time. Now we've got a very interesting show on tap for tonight, and it's a topic that I've long been researching and following. We're seeing a strange occult revival all around the world, and specifically in the United States, even in the founding of our nation and our government. We've got many replicas of Greco-Roman pagan temples all around our country that have been built to scale, including altar and ritual areas. The shocking thing about this is that our government has strategically commissioned many of these pagan temples to be built, and then they've used them as official government buildings. And we also have many strange monuments and buildings that have been built by wealthy occultists and even illuminists around the United States as well. But what is all this leading up to? Why is this happening? Is there significance here, or is this maybe just a matter of coincidence? And what does Zeus have to do with this occult revival, if anything? Was Zeus a real god? Furthermore, why is Zeus still being worshipped and honored by various people around the world from various religions? Tonight we will explore these topics and see if we can't get a little clarity on the matters at hand. So without any further ado, let's go ahead and welcome on Tex Mars of Power of Prophecy, a man who needs no introduction. <laughs> Tex, welcome back to the Fourth Watch. How are you tonight? 
Justin, I'm just doing great. It's wonderful being back with you again. Absolutely. I always love having you on the fourth watch. It's just the topics, they always blow my mind and the things that you research, they're just they're right at home. So, uh, it's it's so great to have you back. Last time we talked about the Jewish mysticism, we got into uh, many of the unknown practices of modern day Judaism and great feedback. So many people wrote me with questions and it really caused people to think. And that's one thing I like to do is just really challenge people to stop taking the status quo and start digging deeper and researching these things for themselves. So that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to talk about some amazing things that you've put in your books. And we've kind of got a little bit of an exclusive because we're going to be talking about a book that has not yet been released. So just to go ahead and uh, just to throw it out there, you are working on a new book entitled The Dark Citadel. You know, that's sort of the working title for it. I'm about 80% through with the book now and should be through it entirely in just a few more months. But it's a sequel uh, to uh, my uh, book entitled Mysterious Monuments. Uh, And, of course, I surveyed the entire world and and really looked for uh, monuments and buildings, uh, uh, all kinds of structures that satanic activity had a hand in constructing or putting together. Uh, and I, I showed uh, in that book, Justin, the, uh, why I call it satanic, because of the symbolism involved, the, maybe the architect and the builders that uh, were involved in it. Uh, and it really had a satanic significance for them. They saw it as a, a really a way to, uh, these buildings and such, as a way to praise their Lord. And we know him, of course, as the devil, uh, as Satan, you know, the old dragon as he's called uh, in the book of Revelation. So I showed everywhere. In fact, uh, Washington, D.C. was one of the major cities. because There we have the Egyptian obelisk. We have the Capitol building, uh, which is built in uh, three parts. Uh, and then we, we also have uh, you know, everything from the White House to... Uh, there are just a lot of satanic structures in Washington, D.C. And, of course, there's uh, Masonic, uh, the House of the Temple, that's also built uh, in Washington, D.C., exactly 13 blocks, and there's a, a reason for that, 13 blocks from the White House, the Masonic House of the Temple. You note that they don't call it the Temple because the, the Freemasons worldwide uh, intend to build, to help the Jews to rebuild their temple in Jerusalem. They call this then the House of the Temple, uh, and then they intend to, re- to rebuild the Temple and you'll recall that in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, it says that that is the place where the Antichrist, the son of perdition, will go in and declare that he is God and above all gods. Right. So very satanic place. Uh, and, of course, right in the middle of Washington, D.C. is this Masonic temple. Uh, and there are many strange uh, things in that. And uh, But... But in this book, Dark Citadel, I, I go even deeper into exposing the things of Satan. Um, maybe I can give you just a few examples. Oh, please. Uh, you, you know, people, you drive right by these buildings. I'm the, the capital of Austin, Texas, the capital of Texas. And, you know, you, you drive here in Austin and you see these huge cities. Greek stru- structures are what they are, Greco-Roman in style. Uh, and we see uh, obelisk. Uh, there's an obelisk, in fact, uh, on the grounds of our state capital. 
Uh, and people don't think anything about it. They 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 drive in, in most state capitals. Uh, their buildings are uh, their capital buildings. Their, their state building, you know, where the where the legislature sits and such, um, are built as Greek uh, temples. And you ask them, why did a Christian country build all of these replicas of Greek temples? Well, there's a you know uh, a very strange doing. Uh, and I, I have an answer for that because most of these people were not Christian. They pretended to be. They portrayed themselves as Christians, uh, but as Freemasons, they were in fact Satanists. Now, please understand that, that Masons don't. They actually say we are not Satanists. We believe in Lucifer, not Satan. Now, catch that, Justin. Wow. They believe in Lucifer, not Satan. And they said that Lucifer was the good angel. He cared for people. He wanted to help Adam and Eve. He wanted to help them become gods. But the cruel old Jehovah, you know, the cruel God, you know, did not allow it. So <laughs> that's the perspective of <laughs> Satanists who really are, I don't mind them calling themselves Luciferians, because, you know, that Lucifer is simply another name for uh, Satan. But they say, no, Lucifer is not. And by the way, there's, uh, only in Isaiah 14, uh, verse 12, is there a reference to Lucifer in the Bible, an identification of him uh, in the Bible. And that's been changed in the new versions, which is, is a very sad thing. But in fact, it's an interesting thing to me that the Washington, D.C. was set up uh, in, a, in a land area territory known as the District of Columbia. That's what the D.C. stands for. Now, who is Columbia. Well, that would be the great goddess. You know, the one that Paul talked about in the book of Acts? He, her name uh, was, was different according to the country that you were uh, in, but she was known by many names. She was the Greek, Roman, Egyptian, Babylonian goddess. But again, she was known in many names. Uh, she was known as Isis in Egypt. Uh, she was known as Semiramis in uh, Babylon, as Venus uh, in Rome. Among the Ephesians, she was known as Diana, the great Diana. Remember, Paul said she was the goddess whom all the world worshipped. Right. But she was worshipped in many other names. So people sometimes misinterpret that. They say, well, she wasn't really. She was just worshipped in a few Greek cities. But she really had ties, connections to all of the goddesses uh, throughout. Uh, Athena was really the great goddess of all, uh, practically, at that time. Athena was the daughter of the great Greek god, the head of the gods, let's say the chief of the gods uh, of Zeus, entirely made. She was his conception. She came out of the brain of, uh, of Zeus. I have a story on that uh, pretty quick here. It's just absolutely mind-boggling. Uh, the altar to Zeus uh, and Athena uh, is, is now uh, in Berlin. Uh, but it's also in other cities, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you about that, Justin. It's, it's, people will, will just shake their heads in, in un, unbelief. Uh, but the, think about that. Why all these, you know, you go to major cities throughout the United States. For example, I was in uh, Nashville, Tennessee, and I was doing a, a lot of research there. I was studying a great building called the Parthenon. The Parthenon it sits in Centennial Park. Uh, in um, almost downtown Nashville, in, in Tennessee there. 
And it's interesting that the, the Parthenon is, the, is a temple to Athena, the great goddess. And it was built, oh, I think around eight, the late 1800s. Now, why would they build a great temple? This is the same as the temple to Athena in Greece. It's built by the architects. They claim within one inch of the exact specifications of the, the great temple of Athena uh, from Greece, from Athens, Greece. How can that be? Why would they do? Why would American Christians do that? You know, Nashville is considered in the Bible Belt. Right. Well, all those Southern Baptist churches are there, aren't they? In fact, I called the head of the Southern Baptist Convention. The you know, I didn't not the not the pastor, but the office there. The the Southern Baptist Convention is headquartered there in Nashville, and I asked them why is this great temple to Athena, the Greek goddess. Why does that sit right in the middle of Nashville, your city, the Bible Belt? And they they didn't know anything. They said, well, we don't know. We don't know anything about that. Well, maybe they should have known because, you know, I, I, I studied it. And I found it exactly why it was there. Uh, but the year I was there, it was about a decade ago, they were having the 100th anniversary of this temple in Nashville. They were celebrating and they had an architect, and it, it, God just gave my wife and I just, I mean, he, he was so good to us. We went to the Parthenon, and I didn't even know all this was going on. When I got there, the door was closed. They had a, they had a guard outside in, in this huge uh, temple with these big, you know, uh, marble uh, columns and all. And I asked the guard, why can't I get in? Can I get in just to take a peek, you know, <laughs> sneak in, so to speak. And um, he said, well, no, we really can't. You know, we have people all the time wanting, wanting to come in. I said, why, why can't why is it closed? And he said, well, actually, we have an architect working inside. He said, you see, the city has commissioned an architect, and he has been working for seven years building the great statue of Athena inside the worship area of the temple. I said, what? Whoa. And the He's city, the city was feet tall. The city was paying for this. Oh yes. Yeah. Oh. Well, they had a commission set up and they were getting millions of dollars to pay for this. They had a man named Alan LaCroix, an architect had been given the commission. And, and I said, I must meet this Alan LaCroix. I must find out why they're, after 100 years on the, on the anniversary, why are they building this great statue? And so he said, well, you know, I'll tell you what. I'm going to go in, and the architect's there with his team. They had you know, five or six other people working uh, on the statue. And I'm going to ask him if he can spend maybe 10 minutes with you. He said, this is very rare, but, you know, I'll, I'll do it. I totally knew who I was, that I was a, you know, a Christian author and, I had my own ideas about the goddess. I'd like to hear this Alan LaCroix, the architect, the artist. So in about five minutes, he came out and said, okay, he's going to, he's going to see you. So <laughs> I went in and I went in this great sanctuary. Now remember, this is in the, the middle of the Bible belt, Justin. And there stood this gigantic statue, 42 feet tall, white marble statue. And it was in the final stages. They were just doing a few little touch-ups and things. It had this white gauze all over it. You know, I guess they first put the white gauze on it to protect it. 
and and then they put a big white uh, like sheet over it, you know. And they actually had a celebration that was scheduled for some weeks after that to unveil the statue. And they had the governor of the state of uh, Tennessee. Uh, they had the king of Greece <laughs> and his family that were going to come all the way from Greece. Whoa. And I answered, Alan, I said, why are they building a statue to the goddess? And he looked at me, and he's sort of a quiet fellow. He said, um, I can't tell you all the reasons, but uh, many people today continue to worship the goddess, he said. I said, worship the goddess? He said, oh, yes, yes, many worship the goddess. He said, in fact, it's very popular today among those who worship Gaia. And that's really the goddess Athena in, in a different guise, he said. You know Gaia, the earth goddess? Oh, yeah, big time. The, the environmentalist, you see. He said many environmentalists are going to come to this celebration to worship this great statue. I said, really? He said, oh, they're going to come from all over the world. And I said, why did you get this job? He said, well, I, of course, submitted my resume and, and, and everything and told him why I wanted to be the the sculptor for this thing that would last supposedly for hundreds and hundreds of years in the, in the heart of America. Uh, and, uh, and they chose me as, you know, as I have this experience and he told me some other projects he had done. So I said, may I look around the statue? He said, yes, certainly. And I, I got under the gauze and, and, and looked and she actually had another goddess in her hand as if to say that the subordinate goddesses would be worshiping her. She had a goddess in her, in her hand. And then all along her feet, sort of wrapped around the feet, was this great serpent. The great serpent, you know, accompanied her. And I looked at that, and it just amazed me, this the serpent that accompanied her. It was a huge serpent, maybe oh, 12 feet long. Uh, and uh, so the, the whole thing, and it's interesting that as I left the statue of Athena and uh, remember this is the same as Diana and we walked outside to the back steps of this temple there was a, a man a young black man and he had Rastafarian you know type hair it, you know the, the dreadlocks oh yeah of the Rastafarians and he was mumbling some chant and he was kneeling uh, on the steps of the statue and he was mumbling something and he was, he was worshiping, and I saw that he was worshiping. This guy had nothing to do with the building of the, the statue, the, the sculpting and everything. He was just some worshiper that must have come there to worship at, at this statue. And there he was, and I, and I stood and just sort of watched this man in amazement. Uh, and I noticed that he was making these strange sounds and sort of rocking back and forth. And the whole thing just sort of stunned me. Uh, but to think that the Southern Baptist Convention is right there in Nashville, they knew nothing. Knew nothing about this, but they told me there was a, there was a special reason and it couldn't be revealed why they they had waited they had waited a hundred years they left this temple the sanctuary vacant for over one hundred years and they told me they were very happy and when I, when I was talking with the artists and others that many people in the city were very happy that finally after one hundred years they were going to have the statue in. Of course, that caused me to read a lot about Zeus and about uh, oh, yeah. the, the great goddess. And, and uh, you know, why would America do this? 
um, I went down the, the road, I don't know, I forget how much, 100 miles or so, a few days later, and I visited at the Great American Pyramid. It sits along the banks of the Mississippi, and it's a huge pyramid. Uh, and I, I sort of marveled. They, they built this pyramid uh, in the 80s, and uh, a man named Isaac Tigret built the pyramid. Now, I, I wondered why do they build it. This was the equivalent of the Great Pyramid of Giza in Egypt. Why they were building this in Tennessee and Memphis. Remember, Memphis is the name of the city in Egypt. Memphis, Egypt. That's right. That's right. This is the sister city of Memphis, Egypt. And there it said it was gleaming. Uh, I mean, very polished. Uh, it, it rose up to the sky. And I mentioned this in my newsletter that I visited, and I immediately got a lot of material from a, a man named Weeks, a Christian who was there and had been fighting against this pyramid. He'd been, he'd been battling it and saying it shouldn't be built for a number of uh, uh, months before you know they finally decided to build it. And it cost many millions of dollars. Now, this Isaac Tigret, have you ever heard, uh, Justin, of the Hard Rock Cafes? Absolutely. Okay, well... He was the owner of that chain, the Hard Rock Cafes. Now, I understand that in the Hard Rock Cafes, he has murals. He has murals of his Hindu uh, deity, some guru. But there he had built this, Isaac Tigret had built this great pyramid. And then we sent me this information from the Commercial Appeal, which is the newspaper there in Memphis. And there were a lot of articles. None of these had really made the national press, but in Memphis it was pretty big. But evidently the people there were very upset. They said that Isaac DeGret and the buildingness in the final stages had got his workmen to go up to the very top, you know, the apex, you know, the, where the, the very top, the peak of the pyramid inside. And there they had, they had brought a box, a jewel box that he had given them, and it was sealed. It was, uh, you know, welded. And he had them to put this box, to weld the box, at the very top of the apex. And what was in it, he refused to tell them. Well, you know, I, what, what did you do, right? <laughs> he had evidently dedicated it to some devils or some ancient gods or something. And there these people were going to be using this temple. Uh, I understand they're going to have a memorial place or something in there for uh, Elvis Presley, some museum. And, and is it they use it also for basketball. It's a big basketball stadium. But it's just right on the, the edge of the river, which they, they feel like is the, the Nile, equivalent to the Nile River, there in this old city of Memphis. But it turned out that many people, when, the, when it was opened and on celebration uh, opening day, the people of Memphis, many people refused to go in it. They said it's been dedicated to devils because they had heard of this Isaac Tigret. Well, <laughs> Isaac Tigret refused to tell them what he'd put in the jewel box. But the workmen said, yes, he did have us do that. You know, when it was finished, the, the pyramid, we put it up at the very top where no one can see it, of course, you know, up there. But uh, it's up there. So... They refused to go, and many people thought it was unholy, it was uh, devilish, uh, they were superstitious. 
Finally, the city fathers, the mayor and council, finally, they decided they had to get to the bottom of this because all these rumors were going out about this uh, great pyramid, the city building that had been built. So they got workmen to go in and go all the way up to the top and they with a lot of difficulty and a big crane and everything. But they didn't, they, they refused to tell people what they found. So wait, they, they actually got up there to get the box, but then they went completely blacked out about it, didn't want to tell anybody. But they told everybody that they had the box and they knew what the contents were, but they didn't, they didn't want to, they said it, it, was, it was not devil dedicated, but it was new age. Of course. They said, you know what that means, I mean, devil, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they had new age artifacts. But they, they did not divulge what those were because they thought that people would get upset and make up stories, uh, which uh, on that they'd probably make up true stories. That's the problem. Uh, but, but in any case, uh, Isaac Tegret now has passed away a few years ago. Um, I don't know what was in his mind, but I don't know what the city fathers, what was in their mind to approve this huge pyramid. But th- these are the kind of things that I found uh, just in across the world. When I was in Europe, I visited a number of these uh, uh, statues and uh, memorials and such. And, and I, I'll tell you, I believe that Satan, he's a great builder. You know, in, in, in Freemasonry, he's known as the grand architect. That's right. And they call themselves, there's a, a famous Masonic book entitled The Builders. They call themselves the builders of the universe. Well, of course, God created the universe. We know that. So the devil is simply imitating Jesus Christ. But he, but he claims to be the builder. And you, you can go back in the Bible to the book of Genesis, and you'll find that Cain was the first builder of cities. When Cain was ousted from the Garden of, of Eden for killing his brother Abel, he went out and built, uh, was the first builder of cities. So, you know, it's a very evil thing. Uh, you know, when you think about it, uh, I don't know what kind of cities he built, but that's that's in the book of Genesis. But but I do know these things um, exist, and I, and I I found other uh, things also. Uh, well, brother Tex, can Memphis. I can I interrupt you real quick because sure mm-hmm. I just uh, people are going to say, well, why exactly? What was the purpose of having the pyramid built? Uh, what even gave uh, Tigret the idea to build the pyramid? So I just want to kind of touch on this real quick. Um, when I began to do the research on the Great Pyramid of Tennessee, <laughs> um, uh-huh. I, I found out uh, there, were, there was a time when Isaac was very wealthy. Uh, later in life, he, even though he was still wealthy, uh, he's on record of giving everything he had away and then living the hmm. poor lifestyle. That happened later in his life, and it was part of his, his New Age religion, uh, the, the whole Buddhist. Uh, but he wasn't just Buddhist. If you People who do their research are going to see he was just a total occultist, just flat out. He dabbled with all types of occult, but he gave yeah. he gave almost everything away towards the end of his life so that he could live kind of like a guru would live. But here's the interesting thing. Mm-hmm. When he was on top of his game, when he had all the money, he, he took a trip over to the real Great Pyramid. And what we find out is that Aleister Crowley, oh, yes. this is a great story. Aleister Crowley, he, we also know he was very wealthy, had a huge following, published many books. Um, he did a, he did these recordings, these, um, back before we had our technology today, they had these wires, like a wire coil, some kind of a way to record audio. And Crowley recorded a ritual inside of the pyramid. You see, because of his connections and his money, he was able to get into the, this uh, particular chamber of the Great Pyramid. And he was following an ancient ritual 
where he could literally summon Lucifer. And this is just how the story goes. We know that, that the devil is not omnipresent, but he definitely, I believe the devil, the devil keeps tabs on certain people who he's in connection with. So what happened was Crowley uh, was on record as going through this ritual. I think it was like at midnight or one, I forget the time of the early morning hours. And he, he performed the ritual in the Great Pyramid, got in touch with Lucifer. And just at that point, he got given what we'll just call his demonic destiny. Um, but he wrote about this. He made it very clear how one could do this same ritual, but it had to be done in this chamber at this time in this pyramid. So uh, Isaac Tigret, having the money that he had, having the resources that he had, is on record of going to the Great Pyramid in Giza, and he paid off the people who were guarding it. He got into that chamber, and he mimicked the Aleister Crowley ritual, and he said that Lucifer appeared to him there like an angel of light, and he gave him the vision to come back to America and build this pyramid. You know, I, I recall that now. Uh, absolutely. And in fact, it was at midnight, he said a, he was in, along in that chamber, totally dark, and a great light appeared, didn't he? That's exactly right. A great light appeared. Of course, you know, the Bible says that Satan, his disciples come, his angels come disguised as angels of light. And, you know, the people that so, don't know Jesus Christ, they're going to see this and they're going to they realize that they've just tapped open a portal of some sort and they don't know the living God. And so they're going to assume this is the most powerful force to be reckoned with. And so they're going to oh, bow absolutely. down and, and with, with uh, Tigret. People say, well, well, still, I mean, he just took the word of this this entity and came back and, and built a pyramid. Well, it must have been a very powerful message that he had. And these are those things we'll never have the details of what all this this devil, whether it was Lucifer, whether it was just some fallen angel entity, whatever, whatever it told him. We only know a little bit about it, but there was a purpose in, in building this thing. And, and this goes right back to what you were saying. You know, well, why are they building these things? Why, why is D.C. a total, um, you know, recreation of ancient pagan gods and goddess temples? I mean, why? And we have to believe the only reason behind this is so that they can perform mass satanic rituals. Absolutely. That's what they're doing in many of these monuments and buildings around the world. Uh, and I'm confident that Washington, D.C. has not just a few of them. Uh, and, and not only that, but I believe that our, our founding fathers, uh, many of them were, were not of, of Jesus Christ. Uh, although, you know, Christianity was very, very widespread at the time, and there were great Christians such as Patrick Henry uh, and others. Uh, but, but some of our founding fathers were not. They were Masons. Uh, and they believed in that the destiny of the United States was to lead the world into a new age. That's right. And of course, you know, they may not have believed in Lucifer. They may have. It, it's, uh, you know, we, we don't fully know. But uh, I, I believe that the United States was built for that. Now, you see, many of these are built. That one, of course, is built in, uh, for Egypt. But the Temple of Athena the Parthenon in Nashville uh, is a Greek temple. And Washington, D.C. is Greco-Roman, Greek too, because the Romans uh, copied the Greek uh, monuments and buildings and statues and such. So these were basically Greek. But in the book of Daniel, uh, I found something astounding. You know, people talk about a federation of Europe and it will be the Antichrist's last kingdom and all that. I've never found that anywhere in the Bible at all. I, they make that up. But it, it's, you know, the Lahey people and all, they, they, they got all this out and 
uh, you know, they believe it. <laughs> but in fact, in the book of Daniel, it says the last day's kingdom, which will be the fourth kingdom on earth, the last day's kingdom will be from Greece. That's right. Now, that's, that's, that's sort of a, a astonishing because I have yet to find even one book on Bible prophecy that refers to this. But absolutely, I'm sorry I don't have uh, my Bible here with me, but uh, th- th- it actually says it will be from Greece. Or they, I think they, they pronounce it Grecia. Uh, and so the final kingdom on earth will be of Grecian nature, of origins. And I, I believe this is what they're doing, you know, that I, I remember reading an article by David Ben-Gurion. He's the first prime minister of Israel. He claimed that the two great civilizations on earth were the Greek civilization and the Jewish civilization. And, of course, he believed, he was uh, an occultist himself, who believed that the Jews would have the great new world order, uh, and, and they would create the world in the Jewish image. Of course, you know, they're going to be in for a big surprise. But he, but, but he did mention that the Greeks had the next biggest kingdom on this uh, earth. So I think all of these temples and such that they're built, of course, out of uh, Greece basically copied many of the things that it found in ancient Egypt. You know, the goddess and the, the uh, god there and their, and their son and all that, the unholy trinity. Uh, and they copied many of these things, but they had many of the ideas themselves. The, if you go to Washington, D.C., you're going to find everywhere, you're going to see statues and memorials to all of these Greek gods and goddesses. I mean, look at the Supreme Court itself. Supreme Court is a huge temple. It's all uh, over the city. It's everywhere you go. I mean, if you just walk around the city one day, you don't, I mean, you won't even get around several blocks before you are absolutely inundated with Greek paganism. I mean, it's everywhere. It's on their buildings. There's giant idol statues everywhere. Yeah, but, but, but go back to uh, the statue of George Washington. Uh, I, I just, I'm going to say it like this. George Washington, we know is a Freemason. We, we don't have evidence of the exact degree he was. There's some debate as to what degree he was. But from what we found, what I found at least, he, he was not a high ranking. Um, I could be wrong on that, but I found no evidence that he was a that he was high, but that what they call a porch mason or a uh, you know a blue lodge basically. But regardless, Washington was a mason. We see him in his regalia and all his photos, uh, the paintings and whatnot. But if you look at the statue that was built of Washington over there, he's sitting just like Zeus was. And or the Baphomet, he's sitting there doing the as above, so below sign with his hands. Uh, yes, that that statue uh, was built and it's been taken down now and placed in the back room of some museum because people began to notice the similarity to, to Baphomet. And he has one uh, hand pointed uh, upward and one downward, which is a sign of, of Satan's bold claim that he would replace God. And bring both hell and heaven together as That's one. Right. They've got the same symbolism. I believe it was uh, the the Hermes on the tarot cards is doing the same symbol. The the Baphomet's doing it. We've got pictures of Zeus doing it. We even got Catholic pictures of uh, Arian Jesus doing it. Yeah, that's, that's right. <laughs> and so, of course, we don't know if uh, George Washington posed for that uh, statue where he was sitting on a throne, uh, giving his hands in the sign of Baphomet. But it's interesting uh, that, that the Baphomet's even involved there, and, and there's something strange uh, about that. By the way, if you visit Mount Vernon 
you know, the, the palatial home uh, is now made into a museum of George Washington. You'll find his, his body is interred there. Uh, the tomb of George Washington is at Mount Vernon. Now, remember, George Washington was a Freemason, but he gave specific instructions for what his funeral would be and what uh, form the tomb would be built. Uh, and it was built as a, an Egyptian palace. That's the tomb outside Mount Vernon. Wow. Uh, and the Egyptian palace, you, you walk through, it's not a, not a big one, though, but you walk through, there's two Egyptian obelisks, one on each side. You walk through that into the gate, and then you walk into the palace where his body lays in rest. That, that is the palace is the queen's palace. You know, the, the, the queen of Egypt who... Uh, acted as the great goddess Isis, and that's where he sits. So he, he really, his body is dedicated to Isis. Now imagine America, a supposed Christian country, and our first president, his body sits in a Egyptian tomb, which was dedicated, obviously, to Isis. Now, people don't even understand that, but, they, but people also don't understand, they pay no recognition to our $1 bill. There we have the Great Pyramid, and above it is the all-seeing eye of the sun god. That's right. By the way, that sun sign is the same symbol that Isaac Tigret adopted in setting up the Hard Rock Cafes. Hard Rock. And then you see the, the sun sign. It was the sun god that they all worshipped. He was called the sun god of Egypt and so forth. That's right. And this is very deep, and it, it goes in all areas of society. And... I'll, I'll tell you, just because people are going to get confused, they're going to say, wow, I don't understand this. Remember this. The Bible says that Satan is God of this world. Small g. Now, that's not the big capital G. <laughs> but, but he, you know, and people don't believe that. They don't think so. They think, no, no, we don't have anything to do with Satan. Uh, Satan's no problem. But Paul warned us. We don't war against flesh and blood. We war against the forces of darkness of the spirit world. And that's, that's who we war against. And, and so we have to understand that we're constantly bombarded or we confront devil spirits in our lives. And we have to ask Jesus to overcome these for us. Now, I'm not trying to scare people. I don't sit every day and think about this, but I do honestly recognize it. People just can't deny this stuff because if you, all you have to do is just get out of your house and depending on what city you live in, you're going to see multiple occult symbols and even little mini monuments in your city. I mean, when we have to understand that these things, Paul talked about, you know, really there's nothing, there's nothing powerful about an idol to the believer because it's just an idol. It's just a statue. It's made with hands. But the demons that are behind it, that's what gives the people the power. Uh, people think they're empowered, but really they're just being controlled by demons. The demons have guided them to build these things and people have learned this over the years. And so that's why we have idols. Even I could drive like 20 minutes away from my house. There's a little park and it's, it's, it's a family park, Tex. They got swings. Mm -hmm. and stuff for the kids but all around the park there's probably 15 obelisks why would they be 15 wow. obelisks or more strategically placed in different parts of the park that's that's incredible of course that's that's true here in austin too uh go to any cemetery if it's of any age at all you'll see uh, many of the tombstones are made in the form of obelisk egyptian right. obelisk you, you know you just people see it and then they don't think twice about it 
But that's why it's important that's, that's that we right. do talk about it. And that's why your books have been so important because you don't only just talk about it. You not only talk about it, you show the pictures and you show people what to look for so that when they see it, they're not blinded anymore. That, that's right. Exactly. That's, that's what I want to do. I want, I, want, I want to tell people, listen, the Bible is true. The Bible says that Satan is God of this world. And as you just mentioned, Paul told us that there are devils behind these idols. That's right. Uh, you, you know, everywhere. So people go to some satanic concert, these young kids, uh, and they, they, they do their, the, the sign of the devil in their hands. And, and I was talking to a young uh, a girl. She was about 25 years of age, and she, she was a churchgoer. She would go to church, and I was talking with her, and she said that she was going to go to this uh, festival, sort of like a Renaissance festival. But it was a, sort of a devil thing. And I said, what do people do there? She said, oh, there's people, there's guys dressed like the devil with horns. And, and it was a big affair. Probably ten or 15,000 people were going to come. And, and I said, why would you want to go to, to that horrible place? She said, oh, I'm just fascinated by it. I'm curious. Huh. And many people invite the devil in. He, he, like you said, he's not omnipresent everywhere. But he does have a certain number of devils. And, you know, when you invite them in, well, then they, they, they feel like they have an invitation. Why shouldn't they possess you? Exactly. You listen to that satanic music. You visited that satanic festival. You're one of theirs. They're going to possess you, and they, and they will. Well, there's kids that are even playing games. There's been this outpouring of these satanic games, and they're nothing, nothing less than seances, but they've been repackaged in the middle schools and even elementary schools. Kids are making YouTube videos, and they're showing kids, oh, well, we're going to record a video of us playing this game. But, you know, somebody like us, we understand what this is. It's not a game. It's a seance. And these kids are getting demonized. Even young kids, they're freaking out. They're seeing shadow people. And, you know, just just to be clear, I've said this on, on several broadcasts. We can go to Scripture. We can take two verses out of Revelation with a calculator and figure out that there are at least 30 million fallen angels. There could be on the upward side of 50 million. And it's not hard. If, you know, anybody that does a little bit of research figures out what words mean. You pull your calculator out and you know there's at least 30 million fallen angels. And, uh, you know, some people disagree with my stance text when it comes to the Nephilim, but I, I do take, uh, I do believe that the demons that we read about in scripture, because text, you're a King James Bible reader just like I am. And the mm -hmm. King James Bible specifies there's two separate words. We see demons and devils. They're two separate words, two separate roots. They're not the same thing. And so that kind of puts a lot of Christians into a conundrum because they say, well, what exactly is a devil and what exactly is a demon? And because Satan is referenced as, as a devil, we have to believe that the devils are the fallen angels. And then when we go deeper, um, you know, we have uh, we have a, a, another text that we look at. And, I, and I, I can't speak for you here, text. But when we get to the book of Jude, uh, there is a prophecy that's quoted in the book of Jude specifically prophesying about the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And you say, well, where did, where did Jude get that prophecy from? Well, Jude is quoting Enoch. And now he's not quoting the, the, the occult book Enoch. There are, there are two or three occult books out there that are called Enoch. Um, and we know if we go to the Old Testament, we're going to see that there was a good Enoch, the godly Enoch who walked with God. And then we see that there is the evil Enoch. We just have to go down the timeline a little further and we see it in the genealogy that there was an evil Enoch as well. 
Even when Solomon began to sin, Solomon started to turn his back on the Lord. He started to build idols to these false gods for his wives. And there's a lot of belief in the Freemasons that Solomon actually practiced what's called Enochian magic. Now, regardless Mm -hmm. of all that, we go to the original book of Enoch, which is still considered canon by the uh, the Ethiopian Christian church, and it literally it lines up with scripture. Even the San Guadalupe Baptist uh, Seminary has published a copy of this book, which might sound strange for a Baptist church to do this, but they've, they, they've published a copy of the original translation of Enoch, and they, they give biblical references throughout the book to show you how it all lines up with scripture. And the interesting thing is, is Enoch tells us that the fallen angels created these giants, these Nephilim, and it says that when they died, they were not human. They were part human, part fallen. And so it says that their souls instantly became these spirits that were on the earth. So I, I know that sounds crazy for some people, and I don't want to shoot you out in the left field, Brother Tex. I know you weren't planning on me saying that. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Well, we're both Christians, so uh, I'm, I'm willing to learn that too. But but as far as the Nephilim, I certainly believe the Nephilim, they're in Genesis. Uh, you know, there's, there's no doubt to me. Uh, it says that these were men of old, uh, men of renown. Uh, they were, they were, you know, and I believe that has to do with the Greek gods and goddesses. It has to. I think they came out later, and you know, so they were, you know, like the Hercules and uh, Zeus and all these Greek gods and goddesses. That's that's who the Nephilim were, I believe. Because There's... the Bible says there were giants in those days and afterwards. And afterwards. And what we see is that when we get to studying Goliath, we learn a little bit about Goliath, and, and there's only so much we can find on him, but he was not a first-generation Nephilim. He would have been, mm-hmm. uh, according to different scholars and researchers, he would have probably been a fifth or sixth generation. And even at that, he was 10 feet tall and probably just jacked up like muscle. But, <laughs> you know, you get to some of these earlier-generation Nephilim, and there's some really interesting stories that have circulated around the world on this. And I'm kind of glad that we got into the Nephilim because – when you put together your book, Mysterious Monuments, you you just you did an amazing job. Um, never before have I ever seen a photo-based encyclopedia that covers so much occult structure. And what you did was you showed that there's all these monuments around the world that could not have been built by human hands in those days. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. it, it's very – for me, I look at that and I believe that many of these, these megalithic gargantuan structures, I believe that many of them were built either using – Nephilim technology, fallen angel technology, or just by the hands of the Nephilim and the fallen angels, because they had power that man didn't have. They also were very ingenious. Uh, I mean, Satan has had uh, uh, thousands of years to develop his, uh, let's say, his intellect, too. So uh, (laughs) these people are able to uh, figure all of this out and and figure all of the uh, geometry and the, the mathematics necessary for building these great structures, too. Uh, before you know, man ever uh, really gained that knowledge. Uh, just the common man. And furthermore, so, they also, if you if you look at, um, I, I know there's debate about the the study of ley lines, um, but people who are in the occult they really believe in power based on ley lines. And the city of D.C. was strategically built on specific ley lines, lining up with certain constellations, lining up with certain latitudes and longitudes. Uh, Stonehenge was built on specific ley lines. Even the little uh, recreations of Stonehenge that we have in America, they were built on ley lines as well, lining up with the real Stonehenge. And they've even got sacrificial rocks here in America at, the, at, the, at one of the Stonehenges. They've got sacrificial rocks to Baal 
and Canaanite deities. And so I believe that it's, it's, there's too much information that we've found now with modern technology that many of these megalithic structures have been built on specific ley lines, uh, just based on the idea of occult power and occult rituals. So I think it's, it's pretty fascinating information. And, uh, I know we only have about 10 or 15 minutes left, but can you give us some previews of Dark Citadel? Uh, I was studying, uh, Gog and Magog in the Bible. And Ezekiel 38 and 39 talks about Gog and Magog. Uh, Gog from the land of Magog. But Gog and Magog are two individuals, or demons, let's say. Uh, maybe in your terminology, they're devils. But Gog and Magog. And, and, the, and, and these are, it's repeated in Revelation, I think it's 22. It says that this is one of the last events that occurs. It says that Gog will come up on the face of the whole planet. So Gog will take over. He's this demon prince, uh, or maybe the devil himself. He will take over the whole world. It says that Gog from Magog will come up out of the bottomless pit, and he will come up on the face of the whole earth. And, but the saints of God, he, he, will, he will surround, it says, the saints of God. They're called the camp of the saints. The camp of the saints. Now, I believe that is really not one camp. It's wherever Christians are. We're the camp of the saints. And we're confronted by this Gog of Magog. But but it says that, that a, a great fire comes down from heaven and consumes him. So this is something that will, this is going to happen in the last days. The camp of the saints is under siege. Remember, it says in Revelation 13 that the beast shall make war with the saints, and for a time will overcome them. So I, I've always wondered about Gog and Magog, but the Bible doesn't have a lot to it. So I began to study Gog and Magog, and lo and behold, I found out that in London, England, there are two statues that have been erected, one to Gog and one to Magog. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> oh, yes. I have pictures of these in my book, Gog and Magog. Now, Gog and Magog are, are the patron saints of London. They, they, they were called, it, it is said that Gog and Magog helped to found, they were the founders of London. And their statues are in the city hall, what we would call a city hall, where the Lord Mayor is. And where are they at in the city hall? Well, in the city hall they built, now this is an old city hall, I don't know how many hundreds of years old it is, but inside the sanctuary, in the, they have a chapel, or sanctuary. They have an altar and pews and all that. But right up around the altar, on each side, is a statue of Gog and Magog. In the altar, where they worship Gog and Magog. And they still have this in London, England. So I also found out that once a year in the city of London, they have a great festival of Gog and Magog. And people dress as Gog and Magog. And this has turned into a gigantic sexual festival. And I don't want to tell you, but men, you know, they come and dressed as demons, as devils. And they carry huge, well, let's just say phalluses or penises, okay? The, the huge penises with them down the street. And bands crank up, and it's, it, it involves thousands of people in this great festival to Gog and Magog in London. 
So this is one of the things I've discovered, and I have pictures of that. And, and it's just that, that that just boggles your mind how that that would be in a a major country like England. But I found that Gog and Magog are the founders of London and of all of England. They're given credit for you know in legend. By the way, Hyde Park is one of the major parks in London. And you go there, you will find a statue of Lucifer. Horns, goat's feet, and all. And uh, the, the, the plaque underneath it says, its title is Family of Man. Wow. He, he claims to be of the family of man, Lucifer, his statue there. And I was told that when the head of the Red Chinese uh, government, um, Beijing or whatever his name is, when he visited London, he, he specifically asked to be taken to that statue where he stood reverently for, for several minutes. Now, I didn't even know about that statue. This is the head of the government of Red China, or China today, we know we call it as. It tells me they worship Lucifer, perhaps, in China, the communists do. So these are things people need to understand that, you know, recently Obama said something amazing. He said, he said, I've gone around the world and I've met the world's leaders. And he says, many of them are out of their minds. They're insane. Did you see that in the paper? I did not, this, but, but I'm glad you're bringing this, this up. Like, this is like, this is like two weeks ago. He said, they're insane. I wonder what he was talking about. They're insane. He said, the world's leaders. Many of them, he didn't say all of them. So I, <laughs> it's a, astonishing, but there's one other thing that maybe I could tell you about. In the Bible, in Revelation, uh, it talked about the seven church ages or seven churches. God had something special to say to each church. You know, Smyrna and, and um, Pergamos and, and all of those uh, churches. And in Revelation 2.12 is an interesting thing. It says, and, the, and to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. Wow. That's powerful. Satan, Satan had his seat. That's, that's his throne. And Pergamos. Now, where is Pergamos? Is that Asia, uh, uh, Asia Minor in modern-day Turkey? Exactly, in modern-day Turkey. Uh, it's called Bergamo today, but per Pergamos here in the Bible. And there they had a great statue inside the temple of Zeus, a great statue of Zeus. They also had a smaller statue of Athena, the goddess. So that's, that's he represented Satan. Zeus did. Okay, and and God recognized that and said that's where Satan's seat is, the throne of Zeus. And and the interesting thing about this is, when I visited the uh, Justin, when I went to the United Nations building in New York City, I found a great statue of Zeus in the entrance. Now, there's no statue to any other god, just a statue to Zeus in the United Nations. Do they too worship Zeus? What what is he doing inside the United Nations building? I, I think there's a real connection, but but more than that, I discovered that the great altar of Zeus, it was in ruins and it was taken out by the by the Germans 
in the early 20th century, and they brought it stone by stone to Berlin, Germany. And there today in the Pergamon Museum, I think of that name, the Pergamon Museum, this gigantic museum in Berlin, Germany, there sits the altar of Zeus. That's right. And it's a, it's a huge altar of Zeus and Athena as well. Now, what, what I want people to think about as we go off the air here pretty quick, to think about this, uh, Justin, this great altar to Zeus that the Germans built, the communists were very jealous of this, evidently, because communism was, is satanic, and it's, it's also Judaic, and Lenin was a Jew. But they were very jealous of the great, stat, the, the great altar to Zeus. When the Russians conquered Berlin, you know, in 1945, they took all the measurements and they took a number of the stones from the, the temple, so there would be some kind of a satanic occult connection, brought many of the stones back from the Pergamon Museum in Berlin. And when Vladimir Lenin died, guests, uh, it's, it's on Red Square in Moscow. They built him a great mausoleum, and that's where his body lays in repose today, you know, under a crystal glass case. You can see his body uh, lay there. Uh, you know, it's visited by a million visitors a year. The great mausoleum to Lenin, Vladimir Lenin in Moscow. And listen to this. What form is it in? It's built as the altar of Zeus. Go figure. The altar of Zeus is in Moscow, and it's it's Lenin's tomb. Then I discovered that in Beijing and China, Mao Zedong they built a great tomb or mausoleum to him, and it's guess what? It's in the form architecturally of the same thing. Uh, it, yes, it is. And then then I discovered that in Ho Chi Minh City in Vietnam, you know Ho Chi Minh was the communist leader. Uh, during the time that we were there uh, fighting in Vietnam. And his body also lays there, and uh, both Mao and uh, Ho Chi Minh, it looks as if their body, but that many people believe it's a, a wax statue under the crystal coffin. And there it, it also is this altar. It's the same seat of Satan that the Bible talks about at Pergamos. It's, it's in Ho Chi Minh City where the communist leader lay. It's in Beijing, China, where the communist leader Mao Zedong lay. It's in Berlin, of course, and of course it's also in uh, Moscow. And, and this is a very interesting situation. Communism, of course, was totally satanic. Totally satanic. In one city in Odessa, which is now in Ukraine, they built a great statue to Baphomet and went in and worshipped it during the communist era. It wasn't atheist like people think. It was atheist only to the extent that they hated our God. And they hated and purged and tortured and persecuted Christians. Listen, 70% of all of the gulag, the Russian gulags, the concentration camps, were actually commanded by Jewish rabbis. Mm. So they, they intended, of course, to de-Christianize all of Russia and, and those republics. And I believe, here we go back now again to the Bible, the book of Daniel. What does it say? The last kingdom will be of Greece. So you go and you find Lenin's body, the communist giant, so-called. What is it? But a great Greek temple. You go to communist North Vietnam, there it is. You go to Germany, there it is. 
And I, I think that's pretty astonishing when you think about it, that all this, somebody decided all of this would happen in all of these mausoleums. And they still worship Zeus, who is Satan. We, we know him as Satan. Oh, absolutely. And I remember, um, I'm pretty sure you wrote an article about this, and you might have even covered it on Power of Prophecy. Uh, but back when, I believe it was 2008, uh, Obama had a re, he had a, like a, a scale model of the altar of Zeus built so he could give his presidential speech on. You remember that? Oh, that's right. The Greek altar and all that was built. And everybody was sort of amazed by it. Yeah, John Cougar Mellencamp came out playing music on it. Some of these other artists came out. Oh, and right. I mean, it, it was it, it was unbelievable. Everyone's standing at the foot of the altar of Zeus and they're cheering him on. Their hands are in the air. And here comes Obama. And he just he walks right out on it and he's standing there. And people have actually compared that actual situation to when Hitler was was in front of the altar of Zeus. But regardless, um, it, this just goes to show, first of all, Lucifer, the devil, he is universal. He will connect all the religions of the world. He will connect the governments of the world. And we, like you said, Tex, I, I really believe what you said. Lu, uh, Lucifer is Zeus. I don't think there's any, any question there. I believe he probably manifested physically as Zeus and called, that's what they called him in the area. And I believe that he operated as a king of the earth. Claiming to be, oh, yes. you know, because what, right. what, Zeus claimed to be the ultimate God. He claimed to be the creator God. And so here comes Lucifer. He's doing his thing, appearing to be this big muscular man, you know, had his six pack abs and his big beard, real manly. And he's creating these Nephilim, these demigods, and people worshiped him. And he never died. So that's right. And it, it's, 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 and, you know, and people, they go to church ever so they don't know any of this is going on. They, they drive past a, a, a an Egyptian obelisk. They don't know the significance of it, but we we really need to wake up. It, it, when, when I woke up to all of these things, Justin, and I know you too, you, you know so much about, about this. Uh, and, and we're one of the very few people in the whole world that are aware of it in, in the Christian world. But I believe it brings you closer to your faith. Amen. Because then, then you understand this is why I tell you, it sort of frightens me to think of the satanic world and I stay closer to Jesus Christ because of this. That's right. I'm a better Christian because you know, the Bible says that we are not ignorant of the devices of the devil. Well, many people are ignorant. Oh, yeah. You know, Paul told us, don't be ignorant of the devices of the devil. Well, many people are ignorant, and they just laugh at this. That, oh, that doesn't mean anything. But Paul warned again, and you know, all of these things are in the Bible. Exactly. I mean, how many people go to a church where the pastor will come out, and now most of y'all listening, you know that I grew up in Texas and Tex, I know you're going to, you're going to get my reference here, but how many, how many churches are out there where you go in and the pastor will come out and say, Oh, y'all see that new statue down yonder? How many, how many of y'all see that new statue? Ain't that, ain't that something to look at? And <laughs> in reality, we ought to be saying, what the heck is going on here? They're bringing mm-hmm. satanic monuments, but instead the pastor says, Oh yeah, y'all see that new statue down there? Uh uh-uh. uh, that's the mindset because pastors are so conditioned. Uh, many of them have gone through uh, just ultra conditioning inside of some of these seminaries. And look, I'm not saying all seminaries are wrong. I'm just making a point that a lot of seminaries chip away at the supernatural foundations of scripture and people end up graduating from many of these seminaries and they think they know everything. And so it's all book smarts and no Holy Spirit working. So we've got a lot of problems in the church, not to mention that the, the clergy response being used to condition the masses in these megachurches. Churches. I guess we have a reputation of stirring up things, <laughs> uh, but I believe that, I believe that we should we should stir up these things uh, because we want people to know the truth. 
so they won't be surprised by the devices of, of Satan, uh, and they'll be prepared and they'll be ready, and and they'll you know be be good you know soldiers for Christ as Paul uh, told us to be. So. Amen. I, I pray that will be true. And that's my prayer as well, Brother Tex. Uh, it's always a pleasure and an honor to have you on. Uh, it's, I just, uh, you've blessed me and, and the areas of ministry that I've gone into. You've blessed that so much. And I uh, thank you so much for that. You're in the prayers of the Fourth Watch. Look forward to talking to you soon. Great. Thank you so much, Jeff. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, that was a lot to think about. And I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. But now I want to move us into tonight's Bible study segment, and I'm really excited to break out tonight's study for everyone. I feel like this is a study that's not only timely, but also extremely important in the days ahead. I believe this message will be speaking directly to many of you tonight. We live in a time where real Christians are scarce. I think we can all agree on that. I know there are churches on every corner in the United States, and there's no shortage of churches, generally speaking, worldwide. But we also know that the modern church is extremely watered down in many cases, and oftentimes even teaching a different gospel and a different Jesus. This is one of those areas of research that isn't even debatable. But that leaves us in a strange state of existence, and some of you would even say that you don't know many real Christians, and might even feel like you're the only true believer in your town. That can be a lonely and scary feeling. I can ensure you that I've been there. And even when you think about your online network of friends who all listen to the same radio shows and podcasts, it's still alternative media compared to the mainstream. And we aren't reaching but a small number of people when we look at the big picture. Now, why am I saying all this? Well, our world is utterly corrupted. Things that were once considered holy and righteous are disappearing like a vapor of the past as demonic deceptions are replacing them to the masses. It's really easy to get discouraged about all of this, especially if you're feeling alone. Of course we have Jesus, but we were created to be the body of Christ, and we actually have a sense of community that's been hardwired into our systems. So when we find ourselves feeling alone and isolated, it's a perfect playing field for the enemy to come in and begin discouraging you. I've struggled with this feeling far too many times, and I want to bring some hope tonight. Let's go back in time to the story of Elijah the prophet. Now, I've covered this amazing story of Elijah before as he went up against the 450 prophets of Baal. Now, a quick recap for you from 1 Kings chapter 18. This isn't the focus. I just want to recap real quick. There was a pretty bad situation in the land. There was an evil queen named Jezebel. Jezebel was a Phoenician princess in the 9th century who then came and married Ahab, the prince of Israel and they ruled together as king and queen. The problem was that Jezebel brought in Baal worship to the kingdom, and she even cut off the practices of Yahweh and persecuted his prophets. Now, if you do your research, you're going to find out that there are connections that directly link Baal to Zeus. But the queen had cut off the prophets of God, and she persecuted the worship of Yahweh. So being a true follower of God in this time was not easy, to say the least. The land was full of false prophets of Baal and all sorts of wicked practices. And then on top of it all, to add insult to injury, there was famine and drought just to make the matters worse. It undoubtedly rings familiar with America today. Although we have never been a Christian country, we have had certain times of revival where Jesus was being taught and widely accepted. There were times where there actually existed a form of morality and freedom to live out the Christian faith. And we could even share the gospel at times openly without persecution. There was a time when Bibles and prayer were allowed in public schools. 
But we're now living in a world where there is spiritual drought and famine. We live under wicked rulers who have their own false prophets and their own clergy response pastors who are feeding poison to the masses at these so-called Christian churches. Pastors of God are now being persecuted. They're being pressured to succumb to the world system. There's a war on Christianity and it's getting worse by the day. And this really reminds me of the situation that Elijah was in to a certain extent. A land that once was filled with righteous prophets and true worship of Yahweh was now under the demonic spell of Queen Jezebel. We'll get back to our current situation in a minute, but I want to go deeper into Elijah's situation. You see, Elijah called upon the Lord and he did a mighty work. Elijah, being empowered by God, proved to a massive audience that Yahweh was the God of gods and that Baal was powerless in comparison. Now, you might remember this scenario. The prophets of Baal cut up a bull and put it on the altar of Baal. And then you had Elijah who cut up a bull and put it on an altar that he built unto Yahweh out of 12 stones. The 12 stones represented the 12 tribes. Now, Elijah dug a trench under and around God's altar and he filled it with water. And he even drenched the sacrifice and the altar so that everything was totally soaked and wet. You might wonder, why would he do that? Well, he was giving the prophets of Baal a winning curve with this action because the drenched altar and the pull of water and the drenched sacrifice would keep any fire from catching. Now, the false prophets called on Baal for hours and hours to come down and consume the bull with fire, and nothing happened. They even ran around and began cutting themselves. But Elijah called upon the name of Yahweh, and here comes fire falling down from heaven and completely burning up the drenched sacrifice. It also burned up the stones that made up the altar and it licked up every bit of water and dust. I mean, this was something that only God could have done and everyone who saw it recognized that Yahweh was the God of gods. And in turn, they realized that Baal was a worthless nothing. And Elijah even killed the prophets of Baal afterwards just to clean house. This was next level warrior flow. Sounds like a spiritual mountaintop for Elijah, right? Well, not exactly. Let's go ahead and fast forward a little bit into chapter 19. Word got back to Jezebel and she swore to kill Elijah. Typical politician move. Somebody stands in the way of their wicked plans and they seek to kill the opposition. So Jezebel actually sent a message to Elijah that she was swearing an oath to kill him. And Elijah was fearful and he took off into hiding. But let's just pick up in chapter 19 real quick, starting in verse 4. But he himself, Elijah, went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die. And he said, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. Elijah is ready to give up. He's complaining to the Lord. He just wants the Lord to take his life. And let's not forget that this was a mighty prophet of God who just recently had been a huge part of a display of God's power. But now he's wanting to die. And he's wanting to die because he doesn't want to be tortured and killed by Queen Jezebel. Now, I hate skipping around, but I want to go directly to the highlight of the conversation with God. So Elijah's complaining and asking God to just let him die in verse 4. And now the word of the Lord comes to Elijah in verse 9. Verse 9, And Elijah came thither unto a cave, and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? So what's going on here? 
God has heard all of Elijah's cries, his complaints, and he's now questioning Elijah. He's saying, what's going on with you, Elijah? What are you doing here? And here's the part that I really want to focus on. As we're about to see, Elijah is feeling helpless and he felt like he was the only man of God who was left in the land. So God said, what's the problem, Elijah? What's up? Now, verse 10, and Elijah said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. Wow. I felt similar emotions to this so many times, where I just felt alone in the fight, facing church leadership, facing false teachings, facing false teachers, facing brothers and sisters with truth, and even facing people who claim to be brothers and sisters in Christ. It really feels like that right now for many of us, as truth is so scarce. And false Christianity and false religions and systems are permeating our world. So it really isn't a long shot to feel a little bit like Elijah. It's like we feel so opposed and so hated and so isolated in our biblical Christian faith. And even more so as we wake up to the times and the realities. Because we feel like there's so few people in the world that are actually waking up to the real salvation message. And here we see Elijah explaining how he is jealous for God. And how he hates seeing all of this false religion and this idol worship. But he says something here that really resonated with me this past week. Elijah said, all this wickedness surrounds me and I'm the only one left who follows you, God. I'm all alone here, he says. He says, I'm a one-man army, isolated in my faith. I'm the only one who is left that follows you. You ever feel like that, ladies and gentlemen? You ever feel like everyone is deceived but you? Ever feel isolated and alone in this journey we call life? Maybe you feel like there's no real Christians in your area. Or maybe you feel like you're the only one who's really awake to what's going on in the world. Maybe you feel like you can't talk about real topics with the local church members because they'll call you crazy. You can't talk about our daily lives being demonically attacked because that's just too charismatic for your friends and family. And the list goes on, ladies and gentlemen. You're awake to the realities. You're walking with Jesus, but you feel all alone in this journey. I know I'm preaching to someone directly right now. I just know it. Now, let's see what God said to Elijah in response to this. Let's just skip down to verse 18 because I want our focus on this aspect of the story, the communication between God and Elijah. Now, verse 18, this is God's response to Elijah's claims of being all alone and being the only one who loves God. This is what God says, Yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. Amen. Here's Elijah suffering spiritual warfare, feeling totally stranded in his faithful life, and God says, hey, you're not the only one. I have 7,000 in the land that haven't worshipped Baal. I mean, how amazing is this? When we feel like we are all alone in our cities and towns, the reality is that God has his people all over. And just because we don't see them doesn't mean that they're not there. I was meeting with a couple the other day at a coffee shop. The husband is American and the wife is from Brazil. 
I'm always careful how I interject my research into conversation, especially when I meet someone new. So before I knew it, we're there talking about Jesus, and the husband tells me that his wife researches the Illuminati. I mean, talk about a conversation shifter. (laughs) Of course, we were talking about Jesus for a while before all this came up, but he brings up the Illuminati, and then I was able to begin talking about the Nephilim in Genesis 6, and then all of a sudden, the wife perked up, and she got excited, and she said, my brother lives in Brazil, and he's very much into Bible study, and he's researching into the same topics, the Nephilim and the alien agenda, and I said, maybe he could check out the fourth watch. And she said, well, he, he only speaks Portuguese. He, he doesn't speak English. So let me just stop for a second. It was just confirmed that there are Bible-believing Christians all over the world who are a remnant, who are wide awake to the things that are going on, and they're learning the truth in their native languages, and then they're teaching it to others in their languages. God is waking people up all over the world in many different languages. Let me just say that one more time. God is waking people up all over the world in many different languages, and they are professing the gospel while contending for the faith against these demonic deceptions all over the world right now in many languages. And here, I just happened to meet a couple who lives but 15 minutes away from me who are believers, and who are open to talking about these kinds of topics. I didn't even know about these people living in my area. It was a divine appointment by God that I met them. And now that's a whole other story in itself. But God has people in your land who have not bowed their knees to Baal. Now, rewind back about six months. I started attending a church where the pastor had a prophetic word for me from the pulpit. This might make some of you uncomfortable, but I really don't care. The pastor's up, he's preaching, and in mid-sentence, he called me by name, and he said that God was about to do powerful things in my ministry. People began approaching me after the service, asking me about my ministry, so I was able to tell them about the fourth watch. There are people in my church that are not only open to learning these things, but some of them are already heavily researching these end times topics that are vitally important. And this is right here at a church that God led me to. I never thought I'd see the day finding a church where I'm not alone, meeting people in my area who are searching for truth. I mean, I had just hit a little bit of a low point right before I began attending this church. I was feeling a little bit like Elijah, but God showed me that there are real Christians who are awake and who are waking up all over the place. This is encouragement hot off the grill. You see, God has people all over the place. We don't always see it or know the specifics, but God has a remnant right now. He always has had a remnant, and it brings so much joy and encouragement when we get connected with them or even when we learn about them. I mean, seriously, just learning about the remnant, seeing the activity of God all around the world and cities surrounding us and countries surrounding us, that is encouragement to us, and that should bring you much joy and much excitement. You see, the Apostle Paul experienced this type of joy and this type of excitement when he wrote to the Ephesians. And we see the way that we are to approach kingdom living and prayer towards the brethren right here in this passage. This is awesome. Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. 
Let me break this down. Paul heard of other real believers. He learned of other real believers in a place called Ephesus. And he began giving thanks and praise unto God. And it says that he never stopped praising God for this report. And he never stopped praying for them. But how did Paul pray for these people? This is a model of how we're supposed to be praying for the body of Christ. Verse 17, this is what Paul's praying for. He prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. So what does this mean? He's praying that God would grant them the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of God. Now watch this. The Greek word we see here for wisdom is Sophia, which is dealing with intelligence and knowledge of diverse matters. We're dealing with knowledge of things human and divine. Then we see the Greek word for revelation is apocalypsis, which carries the definition of a manifestation or even a disclosure or an unveiling of truth concerning things that were previously unknown. And Paul's praying that these would be granted in the process of knowing God. So just because someone is a Christian, they still need prayer that they would receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of God. You see, a lot of Christians have an authentic walk, all the while being deceived in so many areas, even being deceived in what their salvation truly entails. Our walk is a growing process, and we have to be praying that the people who know God would be granted the knowledge of the very diverse matters, the knowledge of things human and divine. In their knowledge of God, we have to be praying that they would receive a manifestation or a disclosure of truth concerning things that they previously didn't know. And this begins to happen as they grow in their knowledge of God. But getting saved is only the beginning of waking up. And we have to be praying for the absolute truth to be fully manifested unto them so that we can have unity and operate to our full potential in Christ. Now, Paul continues his prayer for Ephesus in verse 18, further explaining because it's not just about waking up to the realities of this world. As a matter of fact, that's only part of it. And even at that, it's a small part. But the most important part is understanding what we have in Christ. This goes back to the knowledge of the divine. Now, verse 18, he prays that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Now, the Greek word we see here for calling is klesis, and it's speaking of the calling or the invitation to salvation. It's not dealing with personal callings based on skills or gifts, but literally Paul is praying here that their eyes be enlightened to the true hope of their calling unto salvation and all that it entails. And this should also be our prayer for our brothers and sisters, and we should also regularly be praying this for ourselves as well. As Christians, we sometimes lose the weight and the value and even the understanding of our calling unto salvation. But there are riches of God's inheritance in the saints. Remember last week's study, Jesus is the King of Kings. We talked about the throne room of God and entering the throne room And we learn that Jesus sits on his cosmic throne, which is at the right hand of the Father. Our God, the Godhead, is sitting on high in the holy throne room. And our inheritance as his adopted children is a royal inheritance. This is all part of understanding the fullness of our salvation, which we've been called to. 
Now, verse 19, Paul continues praying that we would know what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us word who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Now, the Greek word for power here is dunamis, the same root word that we get dynamite from. It's an explosive power that can change the form of things. It also represents the power and influence which belongs to riches and wealth. The power of God is not only powerful enough to totally change a man, but it encompasses the power and influence which belong to riches and wealth. Now, let me break this down a little further. Think about the world system for a sec. The people who influence and control the world are extremely wealthy. You know the old saying, money talks. Put your money where your mouth is. Well, money can get people to certain places. Money can influence the world. Unfortunately, and, and really this is this is one of the sad realities of our world, but there is influence that comes along with riches and wealth. But these people of earth that have all the riches and wealth, they've got influence. They're very influential people, but they are only counterfeits of real power. You see, God has all the power and all the wealth in the world, and his influence is unparalleled. There will come a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Philippians 2, 10 through 11. And no power or no scheme or spirit will be able to resist the dunamis power and the influence of Jesus Christ and his riches and his glory. Now, Paul continues explaining this power being displayed in verse 20. The power, the dunamis power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Our God is supreme. He is above everything that ever was and everything that will ever be. As the body of Christ, we are meant to live communally in fellowship because we are literally the fullness of God. I know that some of you can't find a local church. I know that some of you are disabled and you can't get around. I know that some of you fear rejection and even fear being in crowds of people. I know that some of you think that you're all alone in your beliefs at the local level. But we are the body. We are the fullness of God, according to verse 23. We are made to fellowship and operate as the body. When we start to feel like we're all alone, we have to pray that God would reveal his other children to us, that we can be connected and operate as the body. Even if they haven't woken up to all the things we know, even if they have some differing views on the non-foundational theologies, coming together and fellowshipping is something that we cannot forsake. Hebrews 10.25 For some of you, that will have to be done online because you can't get out. For others, that means praying for real believers to be revealed to you in your local areas. For others, that means searching out local churches for the real remnant. But you are not alone and you can rejoice and knowing that you're not alone. We are to pray for connections and the body of Christ to be divinely made for us. And furthermore, we are to pray for the body of Christ all over the world, just as Paul did with the church at Ephesus. The enemy has already been defeated outside of time. 
This is why the demonic forces are so heavy right now, because they know that their time is short. But we cannot get discouraged in the journey because we are heirs to the king and we are not alone. God's people are spread out all over the place. So let's begin to pray for the remnant and pray that we would edify each other and teach and exhort each other in the growing in our faith and in the understanding of the fullness of our salvation. When the knowledge of our salvation is made fully understandable and we see all that it entails, we are better able to glorify God as we live out our royal heritage. Our royal heritage is backed up, it's insured, and it's empowered by the dunamis power of God and His riches and His glory and His untamable influence. With God, all things are possible. Matthew 19.26 God has the power, ladies and gentlemen, and it's not just the power to perform and sustain us, but it's also the power to finish the good work that He began in you. Philippians 1.6 When he tells us that we are to operate as the body of Christ and that we are to fellowship with the body, he has the power to connect you to other believers, to other members of the body in your local area. And just like Elijah, you are not alone. So give praise regularly as Paul did for the Ephesians and pray without ceasing for the body of Christ, that divine remnant in the land. And be sure to pray those same things for yourself and be encouraged because God had multitudes that had not bowed their knee to Baal. And God has multitudes today that have not succumbed to the beast system. I want to encourage you to just take a moment and thank God for his righteous remnant in the land. Thank him for the dunamis power and influence that he has that is unshakable. Ask him to manifest that very power in your lives to better equip and encourage you in your journey. Pray that the Lord would guide you to be in fellowship with other real believers that you might sharpen each other like iron sharpening iron. Pray for the church to receive a full knowledge and understanding of their calling unto salvation and their royal heritage in Christ. And pray that their eyes be opened to the realities of the deceptions of the times we live. And as always, I encourage you to pray for wisdom and discernment as you grow each day in the knowledge and saving grace of Jesus Christ Yeshua. If you're listening right now and you haven't accepted the Lord Jesus Christ Yeshua as your personal Lord and Savior, and you haven't accepted His holy sacrifice on the cross to pay for your sins, it's absolutely impossible for you to have a solid understanding of His Word. It's impossible to find protection from the demonic realm and the days that are fast approaching, friends. And furthermore, it's impossible to have peace with Yahweh Elohim, the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ Yeshua. But here's the good news. You can start anew right now. You can repent of your sins and have the wages of your sins paid in full. Now is the time to repent and turn away from your sins and make right with the will of God. You see, the Bible declares that we don't know what tomorrow holds, so we must take action with the time that we have right now. Repentance is the first step. 
This means turning 180 degrees from your past thoughts, actions, and lifestyles that are in opposition to the Most High God. Because of Jesus Christ Yeshua and His once and for all sacrifice, you can be forgiven of your iniquity and every sin you've ever committed. Yahweh is a jealous God, but He's also rich in mercy. And tonight, if you're willing to admit your wrongs and repent, He's willing to show you that mercy right now, friends. The wages of our sin is death, but tonight we can receive the gift of God, which is eternal life. But as it says in Romans 6.23, only through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's no other way to come to God, folks. There's no other way to get salvation. You can't earn your salvation by good works. Fact is, Jesus Christ is the only way. Every other way, folks, leads to hell. There's no authentic way to the Father but Jesus Christ Yeshua. I'm so thankful that God sent His only begotten Son to die on the cross, a living sacrifice, and shed His sinless and perfect blood to pay the debt of our sins and the ability to be seen as blameless before God on that day of judgment. Let today be the beginning of your communion and peace with God as you're filled with the Holy Spirit and begin putting on the armor of God and growing into an intimate relationship with Him. It's the will of God that you don't perish, but rather that you repent and enter into a relationship with Him based on His terms. If you're not sure of what God's terms are, I want to challenge you to start reading your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, get one and learn firsthand what God expects from you. Christ is our only hope, friends, and my prayer is that you believe on Him tonight. That's the most important part of the show and by far the most important decision you will ever have to make in this life. Amen. It's been an interesting adventure tonight, and I hope you've all enjoyed this broadcast. If you ever miss a show or would like to go back and re-listen to an old one, every show is archived in high-quality streams on my website, fourthwatchradio.blogspot.com. That's the number 4, T-H-W-A-T-C-H-R-A-D-I-O.B-L-O-G-S-P-O-T.com. Fourthwatchradio.blogspot.com. There you'll find every broadcast dated and summarized for your convenience. Be sure to scroll all the way down on each page and click on the words Older Posts to be taken to more pages of archived shows. You can also find my shows broadcasted by the Fourth Watch Radio Network on Shoutcast, Spreaker, iTunes, or if you have an iPhone, iPad, or Android, you can download the Fourth Watch Radio Network app and enjoy easy streaming. For higher quality broadcasts, stay tuned in via fourthwatchradio.blogspot.com for all the latest shows. Like us on Facebook and feel free to add my personal page as well. If the Fourth Watch is ministered to you and you would like to help support this ministry, you can follow the link on our website. I bid you all a week filled with grace and peace in the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll see you all next week. God bless and good night. You're listening to The Fourth Watch with Justin Fall on the Fourth Watch Radio Network.